Join us for Craft Beer Professionals' Most Affordable In-Person Workshop, CBP Connects, presented by Arrive POS, this June 19th to 21st in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Twelve interactive sessions, three nightly receptions, and one opportunity to connect with craft beer professionals from across the country. Learn more at cbpconnects.com. That's cbpconnects.com. See you there. Cheers. As a beer traveler, some of my favorite breweries to visit are those in picture-perfect small towns close to a nice waterfall hike. And when I have these adventures with my family, often some of the most amazing memories are created. Of course, I'm only there for maybe a few days at best. Running a brewery in a small town is tough, and it's had its own set of unique challenges and opportunities. Today, we're going to learn from our guests about how they found success in a small town. Now, let's meet our panelists. And Clay, because you are to the right of me, you get to go first. I'd love to learn a little bit more about you, your brewery. Okay. And be sure to tell us how many people live in your town. All Pro right. Of course. Sounds good. I'm in, uh, my name is Clay Heisel. I'm the GM of Patch Brewing Company. We're in Gordonsville, Virginia. Population of 1436. 1436. I love how precise you are on that one. Hey, thank, gotta love Wikipedia. And how um, long have you been open? We've been open for about 18 months. We had the great fortune of opening during COVID, um, and uh, it's been 18 fun months so far. We're in a former VFW hall, uh, so it's a little unusual in that respect, but we can see 175 inside and about uh, 200 people outdoors. Wow. We've got 14 acres, uh, a baseball field. Uh, we've got a one-acre off-leash dog park. Um, we've got a lot of space to grow. Uh, and fortunately, in a small town, uh, there's a lot of space for us to grow. Um, we're kind of the have become kind of the social center for this little town. Wait, I think you went over it pretty quickly, but you said baseball field. We have a, a baseball field. It has to be the town baseball field. Was, I don't want to get too ahead, but do you actually use it for things as part of brewery events? Um, it's going to be the site of our bases loaded beer festival in June. Um, and then we use it for impromptu kickball. Uh, we've had what we call diamond dogs and turn the entire baseball field into a dog park for a few hours a week. Um, we just take advantage of the space. Very cool. We'll dive more into that in just a little bit. Kate, great to have you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm Kate Bogley. Um, my husband and I started the brewery at Maple View Farm on our 50-acre family farm in 2019. Um, we're in rural suburban um, Connecticut, so we're uh, just north of Hartford. We've got, I feel like the, the big town in, among you because uh, we've got about 10,000 people in Granby. Um, so... Yeah, I hope to have something to add. I, I love all of, I love Clay's ideas already. Yeah, yeah this is going to be fun. Thanks for being here, Kate. And Sean, I think you were the inspiration for this panel. You and I were going back and forth on emails, and you said, if you ever do a small town brewery panel, I'm in. So thanks for actually staying yeah. true to your word and being here. Sure. So I'm Sean. I'm with Fergatania Brewing. We're in Macomb, Illinois, which is West Central Illinois. Uh, closest to us would be uh, Quincy, Galesburg, Peoria. We're kind of sort of right in the middle of all of that. It's also a small college town. So we got Western Illinois University here and Spoon River uh, College, which is a, a two-year technical school. Uh, we're just over 15,000 from the last census. And then for the county, uh, 27,000. So behind you, there's a really neat old-timey picture. Can you explain sure. what I'm looking at for everyone listening? Sure. So um, back in the late 19 or uh, yeah, late 1960s, uh, there was a group of concerned citizens because we were basically being left out of all of the uh, infrastructure um, being happening. So the highways were being built at that time, and we were left out of all of that. Uh, so they dubbed this 16 county for Gatonia. They, the idea was a satirical uh, protest. They were going to uh, secede, declare war, immediately surrender, and then apply for foreign aid. Um, from that, uh, they uh, had put out a bunch of posts. Um, it was picked up. So uh, in the archives of the university's library, you can find newspapers all the way from New York to California that were um, putting it out. You can even go on the History Channel. They did a uh, series of shows called The Forgotten States of the U.S., and we were one of the, of course, Forgotten States. Very cool. Thanks for sharing all that history. And what year did you say that all happened? 
It was uh, late 1960s. Wow. I mean, that's not too long ago, honestly. No, and, and we're kind of doing the same thing now. So we're kind of perpetuating that whole idea and, and trying to put a positive focus on this area. Awesome. I appreciate that. Now, last but not least, Tim, you're up. Hey, I'm Tim from G5. Uh, we're in Beloit, Wisconsin. So we're right on the Wisconsin-Illinois border, right in the middle, south of Madison. Um, we are the biggest uh, town in the, the panel. We, we have approximately 40,000, um, if you kind of draw a circle around Beloit. And uh, we started in 2019. Sounds pretty similar to everybody else's story. And, you know, we uh, are kind of up and running with a 10-barrel brew house and trying to plug along and figure everything out well i swear i didn't plan to go in order from smallest to largest but that's just the way it worked out so once again i appreciate all of you joining us today and you know an interesting thing about breweries you know if you go to a large city a brewery can say make the haziest of hazy ipas and that's their tar target audience but for you all i mean population tim you said forty thousand. is that approximately what you said you're yeah. looking at maximum of forty thousand people in your area I'd love to hear from all of you of, you know, who is your customer base? Who is your target customer to come into your tap room? I can start. We, uh, you know, we're kind of in uh, the last Western part of the Rust Belt. And so a lot of our customers, since we're the first brewery in Beloit since like the early 2000s, there was one for like a year. Um, we have a very blue collar, like what's your closest to domestic XYZ? So we currently have only one beer that's always on and that's a Kolsch and that's our gateway. I love the style. Um, it's grown so popular that we're actually able to buy a 30 barrel tank just for that beer because it was usually taking up two of my tanks uh, in fermentation. And honestly, from there, it's kind of bonkers. It's a beer dichotomy with our customers, but our double IPA uh, is second behind a Kolsch. So, Wow. We have the people that come here, they want to have a couple of beers. It's either Kolsch and then our number two seller for the past, well, since September has been a, a double IPA. What's the name of your Kolsch, Tim? Uh, Hindenburg and a Lightning Storm. And what's the meaning behind that? I mean, uh, I get it, but why have you chosen that? Well, everything else in the, the region of Cologne was taken, it felt like. So we just decided to go with the next most German thing, and it was Hindenburg and a Lightning Storm. So that's a fun beer name. Yeah. Clay, how about you? You know, who's your customer base? Our customer base is mixed. I mean, our year rounders, um, the people who are, are here, we're a rural county. So similar to that, you know, the most frequently asked beer is you have Bud Light. Oh, you don't know. How about Coors Light? No. Our number one beer is an American light lager. Um, that's that's our, our standard. Uh, it's a year rounder now because it's sold so well and uh, we keep it always brewing. Uh, we're fortunate enough to have uh, a couple horizontals. We have six horizontal tanks, so there's always uh, one being served and one uh, being conditioned. And looking at your audience, Clay, who's coming into your tap room? It's a mixture. We have a lot of, we're uh, outside of Charlottesville, Virginia. We're about a half an hour from Charlottesville. We're about two hours from D.C. So Gordonsville gets a lot of weekenders from D.C. who are doing the Airbnbs, let's go out to the country. Um, so we have a lot of those folks. We have the Charlottesville folks who explore on weekends, and we have day trippers from Northern Virginia as well as Richmond, which is about an hour away. But our, you know, six day a weekers, it's our locals, uh, our people who we are the social center for, uh, and they'll be in several times a week for our, you know, for the burgers, for the beer, for the fun, for the games, for whatever, for the dog park. I, I love that you keep saying social center because that's going to be a concept we dive into deeper in just a little bit. So thanks for that teaser. You bet. Kate, you're nodding your head. You know, what does your audience look like? Yeah, so um, we have a lot of families. I know kids uh, sometimes are a bad word in breweries, but we love them. Um, you know, my husband and I have four kids and we built a brewery on our family farm and we wanted it to be a place that we would want to go hang out with. With four kids, you, you don't get a babysitter all the time to go out. So we made sure that there was plenty of space on our brewery lawn where kids could play, adults could have enough space to not get annoyed. Um, and the other thing I was thinking about, you know, one of, one of my bullet points for thinking about small breweries 
is uh, I think you got to maximize everybody that gets there. So I want to sell as much to the kids as I do to the adults. I think the beer is really what like brings people in, but like we're going to sell apple juice to the kids, a pony ride, you know, and you know, so we, we've got all kinds of offerings. Um, but families, I would say is kind of our, biggest demographic, especially during the growing season. Other than that, um, we get mostly um, craft beer drinkers. So, you know, our number one beer is whatever IPA is on tap, whatever New England IPA is on tap. Um, number two is an easy drinker. It's a cranberry blonde ale. Um, but yeah, the craft beer drinkers do love our place. So. That's really interesting how much you strive to create an experience. Man, you don't often get pony rides in one of these conversations. So <laughs> I guess when you look at the guests that comes to your tap room, are they coming for just the pint or they come in up for several hours to take advantage of everything you offer? Yeah, that's what we're hoping. We're trying to keep them there for several hours. Um, this past year, we developed a, a trail around our farm so that they could um, not only that they could have that experience around the farm, but then we could build experiences for them. So we did a 5K in February. We're going to do another 5K in August, wholly on our property. Wow. Um, so I, I think we all have, I don't know about you guys, but there's over a hundred breweries in our tiny little state of Connecticut. So I feel like small town, big town, you know, you have to find like, what is your thing? Why, why are people coming to you? No, I love that so much, Kate. No, last question for you before we move on to Sean, what's the name of the 5k? Oh, it's called our farm fields 5k. So you're focusing on your farm. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to, in August, we'll be able to finish right under where we trellis our hops up. So a trend I'm seeing from you all just far is so much focus on, you know, owning your locality, owning your small town and getting that pride there. Is that fair to assume? Absolutely. Yeah. Sean, tell me more about, you know, who's coming to your tap room. Sure. So uh, being a small college town, we had um, the the college focus bars. We had the let's call it the towny focus bars. And then we had what I'll say is like the faculty and staff of the university bars. And so we were very deliberately trying to create a space where everybody felt comfortable. Um, so I, I, I would say it's craft beer focused, but really, I think they're coming to a place that's clean and has nice bathrooms would be where, where we really sort of uh, shine here. But, you know, I, I remember just a couple of weeks ago coming in on a Saturday and there were four bikers at the bar. There was college kids at the, the tables playing a game that was very, very complicated board game that I've never seen before. And then you'll see three or four families with very, very little children all in the same space. And that's really what we're going for. We're also right by the train track. So you can probably hear that right now which is part of the, 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 um, the uh, going back to our name, uh, we have a, a train that goes to Chicago twice a day, um, now part of because of the, the Forgottonia movement. Um, so uh, as far as like beers, uh, our top seller right now probably is the uh, a hazy uh, pale ale, which is back in the Mac. The uh, train station that we have here, they're, they're uh, um, abbreviation is MAC. So a lot of times when the students are coming back, they'll, they'll, you know, text all their friends. I'm back in the Mac. Um, uh, other big ones. So we have two other sort of house beers. We have a Hellas, where the Hellas Forgotonium, and we have a, uh, dark lager, uh, essentially a sports beer, uh, which is friends in low max places. Um, and then outside of that, it's seasonal. So we try to brew, um, everything, all the others is, is essentially one-offs. And so, you know, right now I've got a, um, a Hellas Bach that is uh, getting ready to go on. Uh, in the summer, everything will start to lighten up. As soon as we hit the fall, we'll start hitting those reds and darker beers. And then once we hit uh, winter, we'll be going into those uh, darker beers and triple IPAs. Do you feel because you all are in small towns that some of the trends you see nationwide don't matter as much more so as like, you know, you focus more on those light American lagers and what your locals want versus what the sourest of sours, haziest of hazy beer going around the national level is happening. So I'll take that first. So we really see this as a place of education. Um, so 
while I am very tuned in to all of those things and things that I am very much seeking out when I go into low tr local uh, larger areas, um, I, I kind of feel like it's it, in some ways my job to bring that here so that we also have access to those things. Very interesting. No, no, Clay, you know, I know last year you brewed a German smoked sour. We did. I'm not going to say it correctly. So Lichtenheiner, am I saying that correctly? Lichtenheiner. Yes, we, we did. Um, we did not call it a Lichtenheiner, though. Um, we <laughs> thought the name would be massacred, as well as uh, what the hell are you doing? Uh, so we called it a smoked sour. Um, it so it, was, it offered a sour. We also put on a Berliner. Uh, we thought we would uh, save and uh, use a similar yeast for two beers, and we found out that uh, sours may be popular elsewhere, but not in a town of fourteen hundred. Interesting. I, I was hoping you'd say that you know they went from the coals and they were educated to actually enjoy the sour, but you're seeing them want to stick to what they know, tried and true. Exactly. I mean, the, the light lager is our number one all 12 months of the year now since we've been offering it all through the Ooh. winter, way far above any of the IPAs. No, that's a fun yeah. debate right now. I'd love to hear from all of you. You know, are you seeing your audience want to be more adventurous? Kind of like you mentioned, Sean, where you're educating them on different styles. Are you seeing yeah. them stick to? We always have a sour on and it's always a very, I now we haven't done a smoked sour. I, that's a whole different customer, but um, our fruited sours do very well. How are you taking a guest from that light American lager to, you know, a sour or something hazier or hoppier? Uh, flights. That's the easiest way. Flights. And then also just like I think your offerings, your um, the spread of what you have on. I can convince somebody who just had a Kolsch to move to the Irish red because you know, you're just getting a little bit more malt. It's still like a real easy drinking beer. I think taking them through the progression like that is the best way. A good name also does wonders. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like all the local references you all shouted out today. Tim, how about you? You know, how are you getting your guests to be a little bit more adventurous, I suppose? Yeah, I, we just put beer in front of them, honestly. If they're sitting around the bar, I have no problems putting a double IPA in somebody who's drinking a Kolsch. Um, a lot of our customers, especially when we first opened up, I believe they heard the word IPA and they're like, yeah, it's just too hoppy. It's, it's too, uh, it takes the taste buds away. And, and like, we really only do hazies. Uh, we won an award for a hazy. So we throw those in front of our customers as much as possible. And, you know, a lot of people ask, what are you, what are you having me drink? And I will not like explain to them what they're having. It's just like, taste it. Like, I don't want you to have a preconceived notion of what I'm putting in front of you. Same thing with sours, like ours aren't overly acidic. And again, we overfruit just about everything, um, add some really fun adjuncts. So then people can then identify something that they've had earlier in their lives with those sours. You know, we're not huge in the pastry thing, but if you describe them in pastries or pies and those kind of acronyms or synonyms, or whatever you want to do, people can identify and like, oh, the power suggestion is pretty big. And it's also like, oh, this does taste like, xyz that we're suggesting like we have a our sour right now is called galloping sounds and it looks like the monty python coconut theme because it's cream of coconut and then a whole bunch of fruit so then the demographic of that we're trying to hit with that is like oh you remember back into the 70s and 80s when monty python was like this huge thing but you are an american light lager drinker or a cold drinker but the galloping sounds resonates with you because you remember the double coconut thing behind and we've gotten a lot of people to try it and say oh this is really good like you're just trying to break stereotypes at least for us we're breaking stereotypes of sours ipas um, i think stouts are um, well worn in a good way that we don't have to introduce and break a stereotype with those as well so right. tim are you seeing those guests who you get to try those more unique beers just trying them or are they coming to the tap room the next time and actually ordering them yeah uh sales have shown that they actually come and have a pint of them or if it's a double ipa a 10 ouncer so um it's breaking the stereotype and be like oh you know i will have a glass of this i'll still go back to the colch and have another one of those because i that's my preferred style but i'll go outside of that and actually order something else that i probably wouldn't have um previously Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Now, Sean, Tim, and Kate, it sounds like you're getting your guests to be a little bit more adventurous. 
Clay, you're almost playing devil's advocate. It almost feels like you know your audience wants to roll with the light American lagers, the Kolsch's, and you're owning it. Is that what's going on at Patch? To a great extent. Uh, also, our brewer loves German style, so we pretty much are very much at home in the German style portfolio. So we're, if anything, uh, we would love the reputation to be known as a lager house. Um, so that we've got another log, you know, we've got a Mexican logger in the tank now uh, for Sanco de Mayo. And we're working on this summer doing a, a, a probably a, a, a smoked Hellas. Uh, but sticking with loggers as being a key component uh, of what uh, will be us. You know, Andrew, I don't think there's anything wrong with just keeping the beers on that the people want. We have one, uh, you know, our Cranberry Blondale. It's like, I, we only have eight taps, so I love to rotate the beers. We probably make 25 beers, but that one has a permanent spot because the people come in asking for it every time and why not give it to them? No, I love that. So, you know, one thing we were kind of hinting at is education, the, the value of educating the guests to come to your doors and those who are educating your guests are your staff in smaller towns. You probably have a little less options when it comes to hiring. I'd love to learn the strategies that you all are doing to just initially find staff and people to work in your tap rooms, what those people are like. Talk to me about, you know, the staff in your tap room. I mean, even feel free to mention the staff in the back of house too, in other roles. I'd love to learn. Um, most of my staff, it's something they do on the weekends in addition to their real job. Uh, and in many cases, they're here in this town. It's one good thing is that uh, if I have a call out or something happens, I can call people who live only five minutes away. So it's uh, so it's easy to find people in that respect. But it is you know, we're a half a mile, half hour away from our nearest town of Charlottesville. Um, it's been fun to though to have because we are in an in a old VFW that opened in 1951 to have staff whose parents had their wedding reception and what's now the tap room yeah. or other people who played here uh we have a boy scout a person the former boy scout he became an eagle here in the in the tap room many many years ago so it's kind of nice to have people who know the town who know everyone who walks in who's a regular um who now get to see this space in a new iteration Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. Sean, how about you? You know, what, what's your staff look like and how you find uh, it? Again, I'm kind of lucky because I've got the university right here. So there we have plenty of students. Uh, being in a small town, there's not a ton of um, job opportunities for them. And so we are one of the more sort of covered, coveted spots. Um, so it, not that I don't want to say it's easy to find um, people, but it has been, I, I guess I'll just say less difficult. Um, and because you're really trying to, for us, we're really trying to find the personality. It's not so much what they know or what they've done before, but if they have the personality to do the job, then we can train everyone. Um, I do monthly uh, beer tender trainings with all of them. So we always have one day every month that we're getting together, um, trying different beers together, uh, talking about what's happening in the tap room, what's coming up, um, trying to uh, coerce them to, to, to speak out and tell me things that are, are happening that they would like to see um, changed or improved upon. Sean, are you seeing that those that you hire, maybe some from the college or just nearby, they have much experience in beer? Or are you kind of guiding them along the way? Uh, you know, every once in a while, because we, so a lot of students are coming from Chicago or the suburbs of Chicago. So every once in a while, we will get people from um, other breweries or restaurant industry, but um, a fair, a lot, a large portion of them, it's the first time. Every once in a while, we'll also get somebody local where it's also a second job that, um, quite honestly, they just want to be in the in-group. They want to see that behind the behind the scenes. They want to be a part of that beer tender training. Um, so it's not so much the, the job for them, but having that inside access. So unfortunately, we don't have time for you to do the entire training with the five of us today. But what does that look like, Sean? When you're going through the spear tender training, give us like sure, sure. So, so the very first beginning of it is the uh, manager, the taproom manager, getting to um, you know update them and say like you know if if anything needs um, a little more help in in. Um, 
uh, refreshing their memory on how to do things. Um, or if anything's coming up, they'll, they'll have that space to talk to them. Um, and then I will have a sort of a, it's almost like a homebrew club. So I've, I've come up with a topic for the week and maybe it's discussing a style or process, a piece of equipment that's in the brewery. I mean, it could, you know, really ranges. And then um, at the very end of it, I'll typically bring somewhere between, uh, you know, two to four beers that I'll share with them and then we'll all discuss it and work it together. And this is every week? Uh, not every week. No, once a month. Once a month. Got it. I, I wish I had that kind of time. <laughs> Tim, how about you? You know, what's your staff look like and how are you finding them? Um, we have a very limited staff. Uh, we're a brew pub in Wisconsin. So that does mean we have liquor, wine, um, and then obviously our beer. Uh, being in a emerging market, we'll call it, uh, it has been more difficult to find staff that is really <laughs> connected to our product. Even though I'm here quite a bit, you know, I still am leaving at four or five o'clock because I'm here between seven and eight in the morning. So a lot of times I'm catching the afternoon shift as they're kind of coming in. Um, so they don't quite know that I have like eight to nine hours already under my belts and, you know, cleaning kegs for, you know, the past, what am I at? Three and a half hours. So, um, some of it gets lost and some of it's on me. Like I have to stick around and like, make sure I have those connections. Like Sean is talking about. And it, you know, we're still like figuring that out when you're, you know, a person that is the only one that's doing all the brewing, the cellaring, the packaging, you know, it's, it's difficult for me to stick around past like that five o'clock period. Cause I have a couple of kids that I really love and hang out with, so, um, you know, we're hopefully this summer, you know, can kind of tackle some of those issues that we have. Our staff is good. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not, but they aren't as connected, you know, to what we do because a lot of the times they're seeing me at the very end of my shift, which might be a shift beer and BSing with people that are around and the people at the bar versus like connecting one-on-one -on -one with them. So Tim, we actually had, cause we have a tiny little staff too. And I think that's really hard because there's usually, there's like one, maybe two bartenders on in our, in our busiest days. Yeah. Um, and they never overlap with our brewer and they overlap with me just cause I'm here all the time. Um, but to go back to our original question, you know, what I'm looking for is people who can really interact with that guest and who are willing to drink beer because I can teach them anything about beer that they need to know. But one of the things we do is keep a, like a three ring binder with some dry erase papers in there and we write notes to each other. So there's space for the brewer to write notes to the servers. There's space for the servers to give feedback to the brewer or to me. There's space for me to write in notes about you know, events or what things are coming up. We can write tasting notes in there. We do have actually a, a Google spreadsheet with all the tasting notes for every beer so that they can, if you if they forget or just want those keywords to use while they're serving, they can go into that spreadsheet and remember, you know, oh, right, citrus, you know, uh, herbal, whatever. No, Kate, one thing that you said that interests me is that notebook and where you leave notes yeah. to one another. Can you give me a couple examples if I were to open it up today, what I might find? Um, so <laughs> it's going to it's going to tell um, the bartenders anything from like uh, when this keg kicked, put on this one next to, um, you know, we're going to release, um, you know, this beer in a couple of weeks or um and the bartenders can can write back like, oh, you know, the customers love this new beer, like, or so because they hear what people are asking for. So that's like the biggest feedback that the brewer and I need as well. So they can write notes back to that or they can write operational notes back to me, you know, hey, we need more change in the cash box. We need, you know, more net. We ran out of napkins. We, you you're know. not making like some sort of cryptocurrency in your small town in Connecticut yet? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. So okay, you just mentioned like customer feedback. I'm sure customer feedback is extremely important in a small town. 
what avenues are the four of you talking to your guests and achieving that customer feedback? That way you can make sure you hit their expectations. One of the first things I do is just, I spend some time behind the bar and there's really nothing like it. I mean, it, it's just, you get to hear everything. So um, during the summer when it's super busy, I probably spend less time back there, but I do still try to pop in for a little bit to, to really hear the exact, um, but otherwise you gotta be in con communication with your bartenders. Yeah, just talking to your staff, talking to your guests. How about you, Clay? You know, how are you listening to your guests or learning from them? I agree with Kate. Hopping behind the bar is the best way. And uh, I schedule my, I'm scheduled regularly. Um, and then if I know that the weather is going to be gorgeous, I will pop by to uh, give extra support. I'll definitely mm -hmm. be the poor so the folks can then focus on the POS and the customers. And Clay, you're telling the truth because the first time I ever came to Pat, you're the one who served me a beer before we actually exactly. met professionally. Yep. I'm still, uh, I do a five hour shift every week. Uh, What's something you've learned recently from your five hour shift? Um, let's see. Recently I've learned from the five hour shift that there aren't uh, as many day drinkers as the owners wish there were. <laughs> so that we've got a regular crowd that comes by for lunch on Fridays and they will buy, sometimes they'll just have tap water. Maybe they'll go for a diet Coke. But by and large, they appreciate, though, the the burgers. So uh, the only other this little town has uh, a couple other restaurants, but the only place where they serve burgers is Hardee's. So I'm happy to be able to outsell Hardee's some days. So are the burgers something you do in house or do you have a partner who runs the kitchen? We have a, we uh, acquire our own food trailer. So we have a permanent food truck. It's um, on wheels, so it right. can move because according to uh, state law, it has to be able to move a foot a year. So we can roll it, um, but it's ours. And so it's, uh, we're able to then take all the orders right when we take the beers, it's all on the same tab, uh, all on the same tip share. Awesome. Now, Sean and Tim, you know, how are you interacting with guests and learning from them? Go Social media is a lot. I mean, through through Instagram, through photo, uh, Facebook, um, through our newsletter, um, also uh, definitely through the staff. Uh, we don't have a notebook, but we use a, a um, product called Sling. It does all of the scheduling, but then within Sling, you also have um, news groups and direct messaging. So we do a lot of it through, I mean, we have a lot of college students working here, so they're very much uh, tuned into working with their phones. Mm -hmm. So um, I can get, you know, direct messages from them at the time of of whatever it is they're trying, they're going through, or what they've heard. Or um, so that's that's the big one for us. Awesome, Tim. How about you? Yeah, mine is uh, you know during the day going out and talking, just touching tables, or we have members. Uh, it's a pretty limited group. Uh, of about 50 or so, uh, but a lot of them I know personally. And so I make sure I go and chat with them. I'll take beer out of fermentation just so they can taste it and they get like this experience. Um, and even then, like I'm trying to shape what they would like because, you know, we have a good contingent here that's always looking for an amber or red ale. Um, I happen to know Kirby Smart, uh, and he makes one of the best ambers in all of Wisconsin. He lagers it for a long time. He uses all German stuff. And for, you know, $10 a six pack, I can't compete. I much rather them just go and buy that stuff because it's hands down the best. It's not typically our style. Um, I am like Clay, we, we do like our easy drinking lagers. We have a 15 barrel dedicated just for lager, uh, but it's never gonna really probably ever get an amber. Um, because I think Kirby does, you know, some of the best amber in our state. And so it's like, go and buy that because you'll get six times the amount of beer than you'll get for like one pint here at G5. And we could put our own spin on it. I get all of that. And I understand arguments for it. Um, they were really putting the screws to me last week about it, but it's like, that yields really well for us. And I have my own inventory system that calculates how many or like basically a depletion of kegs per week. And I have done that Amber for them and it does not sell super great. Mm -hmm. So, and they're a bunch of engineers and they have seen the numbers. Like I don't hide behind them. I'm like, Hey, look, this is my computer. 
Excel is telling me what it's doing. Why would I brew that? So it, you know, I have to pay the bills just like everybody else. And um, that's, it goes back to educating or expanding some horizons because lo and behold, they're talking about Amber Ale and three of the four are drinking hazy IPA. Tim, I want to go a little bit deeper in the beer styles. You know, besides looking for data, how often are you talking to the guests across the bar about what they want to see on tap? Uh, quite often. I'm really curious. Uh, I know the natural trend is this lager theme and we only have the one tank and we don't really want to do much in our tens. So the 15s are really short squatty that mimics the best that we can for a horizontal. Um, it's not produced a bad beer. We really love what it does, but we're not going to rush anything. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's not really talking about what they want, but it's talking about what we offer and then how we put our own spin on it. So it, while it's nice to hear what people do want, I don't necessarily want to brew what a lot of people, I mean, unless it's a, a unanimous, like, you know, snowball coming right at my face. Uh, I, it tends to be few and far between that they'll consume or many people will consume. Uh, we do find that people will ask for it and they'll sit down and have a pint of it. Like people wanted a pumpkin beer when we first opened up. So you know what, we did it. And pumpkin is just one of those things that either you love it or you hate it. They'll come and have one pint of it. And now I'm stuck with 20 flipping half barrels. Tim, I totally and agree. Um, I mean, I think having a point of view in this brewery, you know, atmosphere is so important and sticking to your point of view is I think really just going to make or break a business, you know, you have to have a vision, right. And just, and you kind of shape your vision to who's coming in and be like, I, I hear what you're saying. I understand it, but we're doing these styles really flipping well. And I hope that you appreciate that we're doing these styles really well. That's a fun challenge. I mean, it kind of contrasts with you want to educate, and you but you also want to sell beer. So you have to find that healthy mix of what's going to sell and what they're going to drink and what they're willing to try. So we talked a little bit about, you know, educating your staff on the beers that you all offer, like leaving tasting notes and things like that and having training, you know, monthly or more frequently. But how are you training your team? And this is something you mentioned, Kate, to engage with the guests. What strategies for success are you teaching your staff members in the tap room to best engage with the guests, to get them where they're going to want to hang out longer and spend more money. Mm, that's a good one. Uh, did you direct that to me? Anyone else wants to jump in like Clay? I see you opening your I would, mouth. I would say is, is why when you chat with potential employees, uh, applicants, see who is engaging. Yeah. Uh, we could teach people the tasting notes. We, it's harder to teach them to be nice and how to be engaging. So you can find that right person who you know is a front of house person, or you've got the person who is meticulous to details and they'll be great in the food truck. Um, go with what people's uh, natural abilities are and then just teach them beer. Yeah, I think it's a lot in the hiring. Is that, you know, I, I have bartenders who can say, you know, it's exhausting to me to do a five hour shift behind the bar because I'm more of an introvert, you know? But I've got bartenders who will talk to people all day long. And I think that's really what they want to know. People who are willing to learn the history of, of your bar, like Sean's obviously got a great story behind his, you know, who will chat that up to the customers because they want to hear all that stuff. Anyone else got any tips for, you know, getting your staff to engage at a high level? Secret hopper. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Sean. I mean, you do yeah, uh, unfortunately, we're out in the middle of nowhere, so it's not as easy, but we can uh, still implement some of the, those findings like uh, and, you know, you hate to put everything into just financial terms, but just showing them that, you know, if they can sell a little bit of beer to go or if they can sell some merchandise that that's going to raise up that um, that price and potentially their their tips as well. And, you know, making those connections with the people is going to uh, encourage them. Uh, um, to, to, to make those purchases. Yeah. That upsell, you, you got to do it. You got to train your staff because they want to make money. They might as well make as much as they can while they're on that five hour yeah, shift. No, we had a question in the comments and it's also something that I wanted to cover. You have a set amount of people who live in your locality. 
How much time are you all spending to marketing to people outside? I know, Clay, you mentioned Charlottesville, D.C. You're trying to get those out-of-towners to come to the weekend. You know, how are you marketing to them? What results are you seeing? Clay, I'd love to little learn a little bit. How are they finding you, and how are you making that experience what they're looking for? Two different aspects. Um, actually, probably three. One is uh, doing Google ads, but targeted aiming at certain ages, certain zip codes uh, is one way so that will appear uh, on some people's pages. The second thing is that we've made a, uh, I've made a, a reach out to the people who run the Airbnbs locally, as well as the local hotels, anything within 10, 15 miles, and talking to the front desk staff, giving gift cards to the front desk staff so that we can get the referrals from them. Uh, and then the third part is Charlottesville is, you know, granted it's a half hour away, but it is a tourist mecca. So we're all, all of us in the, uh, I say the variety of breweries and restaurants, we refer to each other. So if a person comes to one bar and says, I, I'm looking for something else to go, well, what do you like? Well, then you should try hit this place, this place, and that place. And often I think that, that referral system, we're, we're, we're friendly competitors with the emphasis on we've all got us, uh, we've all got to swim. Uh, so we do a lot of referrals to other people, and a lot of people refer to us, especially if they find that someone likes loggers. Oh, then you got to go up to Patch. Anyone else using unique strategies to recruit tourists to come visit? I mean, we're definitely using social media targeted ads, um, you know, and kind of zooming out that that radius to at least thirty or forty-five miles around our area, and that's because we're in a very highly populated states so you might have to do it even farther for places sean how about you are you recruiting anybody uh, i mean the closest breweries for us are at least an hour away so uh, wait, wait say that do... one more time the closest closest brewery, brewery is an hour away and that that was being quincy um so we're in contact with the other breweries around here so we're doing the same thing referring each other we do have the train station here so we're working on um a a event with another brewery where they're going to send people on the train here and we're going to send people on the train there. And uh, then the brewers are going to give them the tour tastings, that sort of thing. And then of course, send them back and you can drink on a train. So it, it works out pretty well there. Um, we're really uh, um, looking at alumni events at the university. So anytime there's an alumni event that comes through, anytime there's a conference on campus, uh, something like that, then we're, definitely pushing those social media ads targeted to those um, specific things. Uh, that's, you know, we kind of just understand that we are in the middle of nowhere. And if you end up here, it's because you very much made it a priority. One additional thing that we did also is creating some rack cards. Uh, so like they would normally you see those nice little narrow one third of a page things off in hotels is mm -hmm. we've given those to the people who have Airbnbs. So that's yeah. in the welcome basket is a little yeah. thing about us. Yeah, we are did that with the uh, chamber. Yeah. yeah. Clay, are you trading any beer to the people who, you know, run those Airbnbs or how are you encouraging them to, you know, promote for you? They have seen that if they have, if, if people are engaged and they like the area, they'll come back and refer others. So it's, again, it's a word of mouth. It's a perk. No, I like it. No, all of you had talked about the importance of the community. I don't think I need you to explain why having the community support your business is important. But I want to talk about the events that you've done with your community to get them to come there. Before we talk about all the winners, the events that have just been amazing packed houses, I would like to hear from each of you something you did in your tap room, whether it's an event, maybe a promotion, that didn't go as planned. It may be, I mean, call it a failure, call it what you will, a learning experience. Is there something that you thought would be a great idea that just didn't pan out? Does anybody have anything they're willing to share? Yeah, sure. I got it. Oh, everybody's on this one. Clay, uh, Clay go for it. Baby showers. Uh, we did a baby shower. They reserved 75 seats. So we had a whole bunch of tables. Sales were $2 bottles of water. So you got people there, though. You they got people there. They had a good time, but they brought their own. They brought their own food and drink. Okay. But uh, at least you generated awareness night. for your space. It was a lot of space, and we didn't charge anything for it. So now we charge an F&B minimum. There you go. You learned from it. Tim, how about you? Yeah. Uh, our membership used to include uh, Tell Me What to Brew four times a year. 
the first couple went really, really well. Then this pandemic thing happened. Um, and then we brought it back last year full time. And, you know, for me to do that, I do it on a Saturday. So that's a six day of work, uh, another nine hour day. And I got a maximum of four and five people to show up to those things. And we do an online vote and they were very vocal about that. But then when it came to the actual experience, which we we thought was a premium to become a member, um, it really fell on its face last year and it's no longer um, a part of our membership anymore. We took that out and gave them more incentives uh, to come into the brewery itself. Right. Rather than charging yeah. the same for the membership. Yeah. So it's less work on your end and hopefully more traffic in the tap room. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sounds like a good learning experience there. Yeah. Kate, how about you? Has there been anything that you've learned from? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to call it a general category of like what everybody else is doing. So, for example, you know, we started off pretty well with trivia. But, you know, when there's trivia like at every restaurant in town every night of the week, you know, our trivia came down to like only the people who are winning. And one guy bought one bottle of Snapple and, you know, won a $30 gift card every time. So so we just stopped doing that. We're trying to stay ahead of the curve in ter terms of events. And then also just turn to really, um, what can we do on our farm that, you know, if you have a brewery in a, in a shopping center or something like that, you can't do. So um, the event game has become so competitive. We're going to dive into that. And in sorry, just play the um, baby showers in the morning. That was the other thing. I did a baby shower and I booked it for the morning and I didn't even think through. Luckily, I have a minimum amount of sales. But do you think, you know, looking at those two baby showers you both mentioned, do you think the attendees maybe came back? Do you think there was the awareness ploy there where, you know, that you might not have made a lot of money, but they appreciated you sharing the space and they'll come back maybe when they're able to drink or bring their families at some other point in time? They definitely said they would. Yeah. Yeah. I hope yeah. so. I hope so. I just have also learned probably not to do one of those on a Saturday night again. Right. Fair enough. Sean, learning experience? You know, for us, I, I, we're kind of a small space. Um, we definitely push the, uh, we want to be the small place that looks busy, not the big place that looks empty. Um, and so ticket events have been um, something that never really worked out well for us. So if you think of things like yoga, or uh, we recently just did one, which was a, a seed starting um, event. Now, these are other businesses that are running it. So we still do it because it's very easy on us and something to, to promote. But we've definitely noticed that when as soon as you put a ticket in front of price in front of something, it, it definitely um, hinders the amount of people who come out. That's good insight there. Does anybody else have any experiences with that, you know, trying to charge for something and not working out? Well, we do a monthly uh, arts crafts event. Uh, and some of them are very successful. Uh, the uh, Bob Ross night is a big hit. Uh, and then we also uh, paint a beer steining and uh, get to keep it. But some of the other things have not been quite as popular. Now, now, for all of you, you know, we talked about some things that didn't go as planned. What are your standout events? Is there anything that you do you feel has a more localized feel versus just your generic trivia, karaoke? You know where I'm going with that. Is there anything that you feel really encapsulates your culture? of their community that people just get really excited for and has been successful? We have some big live music events that people look mm -hmm. forward to every year now. In fact, I think we're gonna start calling them, you know, third annual, fourth annual to kind of give it like a festival kind of feel to it. Um, that those have been the biggest events. Everyone else events that have been winners. Uh, I mean, we're, we're going to say the complete opposite. Trivia kills here. So we, we do very well with trivia. We also do a music bingo and we do a vinyl record night. Um, those are all sort of our slower days that really, really helps out. We also do a um, charitable beer for good where we'll work with a local nonprofit with them to create a beer. I'll even bring them in here to um, help mash out and mash in just to get a couple of uh, social media photos for that. Um, they'll name the beer and then we'll usually have a big kickoff event for that. Uh, we do local uh, live music, which also is, is, does very well, especially since we don't charge for it. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a busy uh, cornhole league every Wednesday night in the good weather. And then in the wind, and then we also a darts league the same night. 
So that attracts people, whether they want to be, you know, the more quieter indoor darts people or the cornhole folks outdoors. Uh, so we get good turnouts on those on Wednesday nights. Do you all find that you have become a hub for your community? You know, and if so, why do you feel you have become in that position where people come to your place as the go-to spot? Like what, if you had to bring it all together, has resulted in that success? Uh, well, for us, we're the biggest space in town. Um, being the old VFW that seats 175 plus, uh, this the hall when it was a VMW was the overflow for the funeral parlor, which only seats 50. So on very popular people, they would hold the services here in, in this hall. Um, so the people locally are, this is where graduations were held as rain sites. This is where the Boy Scouts did their stuff, the Girl Scouts, the, the Little Miss Whatevers on the stage. So this is kind of for decades has been the gathering place. Uh, we do a lot of birthdays right now, anywhere from one-year-olds to we did a 70-year-old birthday recently. Uh, we also did recently a wake for a deceased pet. Uh, okay. which is a little unusual. I haven't done one of those before, but they got, they brought their photos, gathered around and told stories. And they drank beer clay, right? They did. That's important. <laughs> that, but fortunately, since I've got, I am, you know, unlike perhaps at Foragatonia, we are a big hall. Uh, and rarely do I have all spaces filled. I'd love it when they are, but I can ac accommodate the pet wakes easily on any day. Kate, how about you? You know, did you always envision you would be a community center or, you know, do you feel you are? And if so, how did you get there? Yeah, I think we are not just for our town, though, but for kind of like the greater area. Um, we're, we're always being told that people love our vibe. Right. So where does that vibe come from? I think it comes everywhere from. Um, the bartender to the music that's playing just over our house stereo to how we set up our space to just the attitude of of um probably just the fact that it's on a farm kind of has this relaxed vibe but um i think it just makes it very welcoming place for for everybody the fact that you can bring your kids you can bring your dog you can you know Kind of make it whatever kind of space you want. Tim, how about you? Do you feel you've become a community center? Yeah, uh, to a degree. We're not so like a town of forty thousand or like Macomb. Um, sorry, Sean. You know, when you have like a population somewhat centered, you have a downtown. It's established. We're not even close to. I shouldn't say not. It's a small town, but we're like four miles from like downtown. So people have to do, they have to come out to see us. We're a destination um, versus like park and go to maybe a couple other places. Um, with a full brew pub, we are a restaurant as well. So we have like a one-stop shop if you're gonna go out for a night, but um, we do feel like Fridays and Saturdays are gathering places because we are a larger building like Clay is talking about where, you know, those kind of opportunities don't exist a lot in our town where you can get, you know, 10, 12 family members together and all sit around a table like you're kind of at home and have a pint, maybe a couple of appetizers and share them and just kind of catch up with each other or alumni. Um, you know, we we're getting there a little bit, little and people are discovering, you know, what we have and um, you know, we have a really beautiful building and it's really easy once you finally get your, finally come here to come back. No, I, I love that. T Sean, Sean, anything else you'd like to add? I was just gonna say, uh, never underestimate the power of clean bathrooms. Yeah. Well, you're better than those towny bars, Sean. <laughs> and you know, here in Virginia, we don't use the word towny, but I, I love it. So, you know- Well, some people love it. it, some people don't. I. I I personally think it's great. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of locals, you know, we've talked a little bit about how you're marketing to your local audience, but at the end of the day, you want the guests coming to your spaces, having an amazing experience and pitching what you do to someone else and bringing them back in. So if you could say in like one sentence, maybe five words, what do you want that customer telling the next person 
what would that be? You know, what's going to be their pitch to get more people to come to your beautiful brewery? Great beer, great vibe. I think great you got to Yeah, you got to lead with the beer. Yeah, that's definitely the anchor. Yeah. I'd say your backyard with better beer. Oh, I like that one, Clay. And a baseball yard, baseball field there. Exactly. For us, I would say it's inviting. It's making sure that everybody knows that they're welcome here. Well, you don't have another brewery for, you know what, you said like almost 100 miles? <laughs> Pretty close to it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tim? Yeah, I'll uh, echo what other people are saying. Um, you know, we care about our beer. Um, uh, I hope our staff realizes that we care this much about a beer. And our people that come in, um, I work hard for my money as you all do. So I know everybody else works pretty hard for their money. So I want them to sit down and have that experience. And also to know that we're continually like curious about this thing that we do. Um, that's why we do change our menu so often is because I'm listening to stuff from, you know, CBP. I'm listening to master brewers. I'm going out and doing collabs with other friends of mine because we want to know it's working in other markets, bring it to our market and challenge what we do here too. I'm a former educator, so I really take this to heart of like, I never want to stop learning it. You know, there's people who are master brewers and I feel like if I ever called myself a master brewer, I, I own my own island and I can dedicate and tell everybody how to do it in the best way. And I just, I know that the education and there's people that are really great at it and they, you know, paid a lot of money and they might get paid a lot of money. I, that's just not the world that I live in. And so, yeah, it's just being curious, have fun with it and, and do your best at what you do. Tim, I love the fact that how curious you are. And I had planned to wind down with that question, but now I'm just curious, you know, for the four of you, you, Tim, you hinted at it. You're in a place you're often isolated. It's sometimes more challenging to connect with others. The four of you, wear so many different hats. You're at the brewery countless hours. Final question for you, you know, what strategy do you use to, you know, focus on your mental health, build relationships with others to keep learning? Is there something you do for you that you feel makes you a better person? Whether for you personally or you, you know, as a business? I have two things. Um... It's staying really rooted and connected to my two and four year old and my wife. And then also selfishly get the heck out of here and do a collab a month, like get yourself in order. Everything's done here. Get out and just connect with another member. That's a part of this like amazing community that we have. We have the good fortune or I have the good fortune of being able to just leave at six o'clock in the morning and go, you know, an hour or two hours in any direction in Wisconsin. And like, land upon a friend and connect with them over a few beers and some fun ideas that we came up together um, when we do collabs. Tim, that question was meant for you and I can't wait to see you in Milwaukee in June. I know. I'm excited. Yeah, I love it. Kate, how about you? Yeah, I think getting off the farm is, is always really important for our family. Um, just, you know, telling myself that I'm, I'm a terrible micromanager definitely one of my downsides. Um, just reminding myself that we have good people who work for us, who can take care of, you know, whatever's going to happen that day on the farm at the brewery. Um, so yeah, just getting out of, out of town is a good refresh, going to get inspiration from outside. So that's funny because, you know, when I get out of town, I'm probably going to your small town. That's my <laughs> getaway. Yeah. Clay? Well, getting out of town sometimes for us means going to one of your breweries too. <laughs> I think it's important to separate yourself and go to, crazy and go to new places though. Like Tim, you mentioned like it's go great going to meeting people outside of your general area because you can learn so much from them and that experience can bring insight back to your tap room. Or brewery. Always. Clay? Uh, the other thing besides beer that I'm really involved in is animal rescue. Uh, so that at home right now we have six uh, we're foster home for six additional dogs in addition to our usual pack of four. So wow. off time is taking a dog to a brewery or to a restaurant or to a food truck and trying introducing them to new people, new situations. Uh, it also gives me a chance to drink and, and eat, which is always fun to do anyways. Uh, but when I'm not here, I'm often with the dogs. And even in the tap room, I'll often leave the bar if I can and go pet and meet some other new dog that's just walked in. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Sean? 
Um, state guilds, I'm a big fan of. So uh, we were just recently at our uh, annual conference. Um, and so being able to get that connection with so many other people in the industry is really good. Um, and then the other thing I'll say in like not getting away, but finding time to go to your brewery that you're not in charge. So, you know, a big part of having the brewery was because I wanted a space that I wanted to go to. So, you know, I try to find at least one time a week that I'm coming here as a customer. Now I'm still going to get asked questions and people are still going to come up to me and ask about what beer is coming up next. And that's okay. Uh, But I'm trying to come there to, to see it a, from the perspective of um, the uh, customer, but also to, just having a space where I can enjoy it also. Yeah. No, I love that. Well, listening and learning from you for today has been fantastic. Clay, Sean, Tim, Kate, you know, I hope everybody listening's found the strategies and insight you've shared, you know, really valuable. And I appreciate you so much for sharing this insight. And I, I can't wait. I visited Claysburg before, but I guess I have to add three more destinations to my future road trip list. So I can't wait to share pints with all of you. Thanks for sharing your experiences. It's going to be a great year. We'll see you soon. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Cheers. And we are. Thank you for listening and being an important part of our community. Please hit the subscribe button to stay on top of more sessions that can help you grow as a craft beer professional. And join us for more conversations in our community on Facebook. We appreciate you. Cheers.